Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. My name is Daryl McMullen, and this is a show where we discuss how we can rise above the human condition. We address topics that we all wrestle with because we're all human. And together we look for more positive ways to respond to the world around us. Thank you for joining us on the journey. We hope today's topic is exactly what you need for the week ahead. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. Great to be with you. Another Monday morning, August 2nd, 2021. Here we go. Another month. And another month closer to the summer being over. Crazy how fast things are going. Uh, So it's great to be back. Um, For those of you who don't know, um, yes, there was an episode on July 19th, and there was one on July 26th. However, those were uh, recorded and, you know, set and ready to go um, so that I could post those uh, while I was on vacation. So I was actually gone uh, from the 19th until like the 27th or something like that, uh, but was able to uh, pre-record those, have them ready to go so that we didn't skip a beat on the podcast. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in the minute of transparency Um, But like I said, great to be back, great to be with you, great to have taken some time off and to rest and relax, Um, but here we are, back and ready to go. So let's jump in to the Minute of Transparency, and oddly enough, I'm going to title this, Take a Frickin' Vacation. So I'm probably in the minority here, but I'm not a huge vacation guy, believe it or not. I know it's strange, right? Most people are all about the vacations, all about the weekends, all about how do I get away from work? How do I get away from my routine and just let loose, right? People live for those things, but not me. Uh, And as I prepared for this episode, I had to ask myself some pretty hard questions, right? I had to really dig deep and try to figure out what is it about vacations that get me irritable or tense or or things like that. So I came up with four things that I realized about myself um, as I was thinking through this. Number one, I am not a fan of the traveling process. So, you know, ever since 9-11, air travel has obviously become much more laborious, right? Getting to the airport so far in advance, the lines, the people, the security, take out your laptops, take off shoes, all that stuff. And now, thanks to COVID, you get to do all of that with your mask on. It's just, it's just great. I love it. Um, I'm not a fan of hotels. I'm not a fan of living out of a suitcase. Not a fan of being without a lot of the creature comforts of home, that sort of thing. So that's number one. Number two, the impact it has on work. Now, preparing to go on a vacation is different, I guess, based on whatever your job is, right? What you do. But in my job in my position it's all about you know two three four days before you leave the work really just becomes more intense right you're trying to tie up loose ends you're creating out of office documents for other people um, who are going to oversee the things that you do yeah you have to work ahead a little bit right in order to get things caught up and keep things from falling through the cracks uh, then while you're on vacation, if if you're not really good about turning everything off or removing apps from your phone, you know, you continue to see the emails or the Slack messages or 
or all of those things while you're on vacation. And you know that you could just jump in easily and answer or solve the problem, but it's that struggle with not doing that, right? And then of course you get back and you have a mountain of email, right? Hundreds and hundreds of emails and you you have to go through them all, right? Because if you don't, you're going to be super overwhelmed. You're not going to know where things are at. Um, so there's that whole transition period of transitioning back into work. Number three, the cost. So I spend money, don't get me wrong. I love to spend money on certain things, uh, but the amount of money that goes out while you're on vacation can be startling at times, right? Vacation and travel and tourism is a booming business. It's a massive industry that keeps many people employed, makes many people very wealthy. Uh, in fact, COVID showed us just how big of an industry it actually was, right? For certain communities and even entire countries, uh, you know, some of the difficulties they went through uh, during COVID because they weren't able to pull in those tourists and the tourist dollars. So, you know, without that tourism, the money literally dried up for many people, many businesses, and even, you know, countrywide economies. Hotels, restaurants, rental gear, rental cars, excursions, tours, parking fees, all of those things, right? It all adds up. And by the end of it, you feel like you were just worked over by a mob boss, right? You turn out your pockets and there's nothing left. So that's, you know, that's part of my tension, I think, with vacations is the cost. Uh, number four, the disruption to the flow. Now, you probably know this about me by now, but I'm a very ordered, very routine, ritualistic kind of individual, right? I love my consistency. So nothing throws a wrench into routine like a vacation, right? So for example, when I'm at home, I get up, I drink coffee, I run, I write, I do all of these things in the mornings and I'm, I've kind of gotten into a routine, which is great for me because it ensures that I get things done, right? I just feel more comfortable when I'm walking through that routine and, and doing things on a regular basis. On vacation, obviously, all of that changes, right? Except for the coffee part, of course. You can't help but get up every morning and drink coffee. Um, but obviously, the routine might be a little different. Instead of getting right up and drinking coffee and writing or going exercising, you know, you may not drink coffee until noon, right? Depending on what your itinerary is for the day. So there you go. The top four reasons why vacations stress me out. At least the first four that came to my mind. There may be more. I don't know. But that really isn't the point of this minute of transparency, right? I'm not here to convince you that you should stay home and stop taking vacations. Uh, in fact, it's quite the opposite. So a week and a half ago, or I guess a couple weeks ago now, um, we flew to Maui. So we, we went to one of the islands that makes up the tropical state of Hawaii, and we spent eight days there doing all of the things you do in Maui. From beach days to snorkeling to um, hiking, sightseeing, the road to Hana, hidden beaches, waterfalls, you know, and we even managed to fit in some, some powered hang gliding, which was pretty cool. But before we made it to Maui, something really interesting happened to me. Like normal, my four reasons for disliking vacation, you know, were starting to flow full force in my brain. My irritability was ramping up a bit. I was a little tense. I was having to force myself to be in the right frame of mind in order to go on this vacation, right? The weekend before we left, uh, Tammy and I went to church at Friends Church in Orange, California. And 
Now, there's this thing that happens at church, and those of you who have been in church your whole life, or if you've been in church and done the whole church thing for a period of time in your life, you probably understand what I'm going to say on some level. So there are times when you go to church, you hear a message, you go home, and life goes on, right? Doesn't really impact your life much at all. Then there are times when you go to church and it's as if the speaker is standing there looking right at you, speaking right to you, and nobody else is in the room, right? It's like they literally read your mind and crafted a message just for you because it's what you needed to hear at that moment in time. I know it's a little woo-woo at times, uh, but I believe it's actually one of the ways that God gets our attention. So this is what happened, right? We go to church, the speaker, Kyle Zimmerman, he, he didn't even need to get warmed up. Literally the first words out of his mouth, the first story out of his mouth was about vacations. So he had just returned from one, his whole family had gone on. And I, and I feel like the way he described it, you know, some of the things that I wrestle with, he was actually wrestling with at the same time, but it's what he learned about vacations that really hit me in the face. So he started by saying that vacations are important. Great. Glad we got that out of the way. But it just went on and on and on from there. And he talked about how you really need to take them. And I don't mean like he was recommending it or he was just suggesting, oh, it might be fun. It might be something you should look into. No, he was literally demanding it on some level. He was saying, this is something that you need to do. He used phrases like, you need to let go, and vacations allow you to do that. It's an act of humility, literally trusting your team and trusting other people to back you up while you're gone. You need to get over yourself. Nobody is that important that they can't go on a vacation. Uh, He said that vacation is on some level more about others than it is about you. And then one of the quotes he had um, is that vacation is a glimpse of how God intended life to be. So this ability to release our responsibility in order to be fully present with him and our spouse and our families on vacation. And just like that, I I was a mess. I was convicted, convicted that my dislike for vacations was less about me being frustrated with things and more about me wanting control, right? Control over my environment, control over not going out of my comfort zone and not breaking my routines. Um, You know, that was really what was at the core of my frustration or my irritability. Now, don't get me wrong, I still struggle with the cost of vacations, but that's really on you, right? It's really on me. We get to decide how extravagant they are. And, you know, I'll probably never get used to living out of a suitcase, but That's just something you have to get used to if you're going to do vacations. So at the end of the day, right, it wasn't an earth-shattering concept for me. I'm sure I had heard it before, but apparently I just hadn't listened very well because it's a concept that I had just put in the back of my mind and forgot about, right? Maybe I thought it was a concept for other people, not really for me. But that's how the story fits into our topic for the day. It really was about me. My view of vacationing was, and still is, a little short-sighted, which is our topic for today, transcending short-sightedness. So in this episode, we're going to talk about getting stuck in the here and now. Number two, expand your vision and open your mind. And we'll follow that up with 
getting started today. Number one, getting stuck in the here and now. So simply put, short-sightedness is getting stuck in the here and now. But let's make it official with some definitions. So dictionary.com defines being short-sighted as unable to see far, nearsighted, or myopic. And number two, lacking in foresight. Now, the first three words obviously sound a lot like words we use for the quality of our vision, right? When you go to see an eye doctor, they talk about your ability to see. They talk about nearsightedness, farsightedness, myopic myopic issues, those types of things. So we're really going to focus on the second one, which is lacking in foresight. So in order to understand that, we need to look up the description for foresight. So dictionary.com defines foresight as care or provision for the future, provident care, prudence, the act or power of foreseeing, prevision, an act of looking forward, knowledge or insight gained, or as by looking forward, a view into the future, or surveying. Now that's a lot of words, right? That's a lot of messy words, but I think we're getting somewhere, right? So being short-sighted is the opposite or the inability to have foresight. So when we are short-sighted, we aren't looking into the future. We aren't being prudent. We aren't choosing to gain knowledge by looking into the future or looking around us, right? We're not surveying the where the world and future possibilities. So this is really the definition I want to use now for this episode. So we'll just say being hyper-focused on the here and now without looking around for knowledge on the subject. Okay, that'll be our working definition for being short-sighted. It's being hyper-focused on the here and now without looking around for knowledge on the subject. So I believe this is something that we all fall prey to from time to time right? Some of us are mostly short-sighted. Some of us are rarely short-sighted. And then there's everything in between. But the important thing to understand is that being short-sighted happens to the best of us. So let's get specific, right? In the minute of transparency, I shared my short-sightedness on taking vacations. And there are thousands of other scenarios where we can act like this, right? We can think and behave in ways that are short-sighted versus being or displaying foresight. So let's walk through a few areas of our, uh, of these that, that we can see in our own lives, right? Areas in our lives where short-sightedness can catch us off guard. Number one, our personalities. So have you ever taken one of those personality inventories, right? Like Strengths Finder, Insights, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram. You know, these are things that we've talked about before on the show. Um, but for those of you who have taken these tests and gotten the results back, what are the first two things you do? Well, probably the first thing you do is you think to yourself, oh my word, how in the heck can a survey with so few questions figure me out so perfectly? It's like they climbed inside my head and extracted all the data. I mean, that's me in a nutshell, right? That's typically the first thing you say. Second, you look around at the people with the other personality types and you think to yourself, oh, that's why they are the way they are. And you tend to view them as missing something or being flawed in some way, right? We immediately view other people's personalities as less than ours, 
right? If only they had a little bit more of my personality, I think they would be much happier, right? But this is a perfect example of being short-sighted, right? We all fall into this from time to time, right? We rate and review other people based on who we are and how we act, right? The closer people are to our personality, the more accepting we are of them. The farther away they are from our personality, the harder it is for us to accept them, right? Have you ever heard people say things like this? Oh, he's just out there, right? We have nothing in common. Or she's so extroverted, I can really only handle being around her once in a while. Or he's too quiet, I just can't be alone with him for too long. All of these statements and the decisions we make about other people are often because they are different than us in terms of personality. Number two, worldview. So another area where we can be very short-sighted is in the way that we view the world. So one example of this thinking is that everybody experiences the world just like me, right? Another example is thinking that everyone was raised the same way or, you know, you look back at your life and how you were raised and you just assume that another person had the same experience. Um, Yet another one is thinking that everyone has the same opportunities as we do. The truth of the matter is that people are brought up vastly different, right? The opportunities people have are vastly different. And because of this, people experience the world in vastly different ways. And the more we understand this, the less short-sighted we'll be when we interact with people around us. Number three, our location. So believe it or not, where we live can make us very short-sighted. If you live in the South, you might live life a little slower than other people. If you live in a big city, you might see lots of people as a requirement for happiness. If you live in a rural area of America, you might see lots of people as a problem. Uh, If you live in Jamaica, you might view life as no problem. If you live in Hawaii, you probably view life from the aloha point of view. None are bad or wrong. They're just different, right? But if you get too focused on your location and your culture, you can become very short-sighted. Number four, our beliefs. So this is very similar to your worldview, but I pulled this out because there are two beliefs that we can talk about um, in great detail, um, two things that are extremely polarizing. I'm sure you've already guessed what those are. Yep, politics and religion. So politics, um, I probably don't need to say a whole lot about this, you know, especially after the 2020 presidential election and the way that it polarized our country. It's very obvious that politics can divide people. People can get very short-sighted because of their political beliefs. Um, You know, that's why we need to understand that politics is an area that we have to have a very close watch on so that we don't get too short-sighted about it. We can literally close our minds down to a very small set of political beliefs and choose not to listen, not to engage, not to find common ground with other people who believe things different than us. And in the worst case scenario, short-sightedness can lead to extremist thinking and behaving. Similar is religion, right? Very similar to politics, in in how short-sighted we can become based on our religious upbringing or our religious beliefs. In fact, it isn't surprising at all that political parties are loosely based on religious beliefs, right? The fact that the two of them have overlap 
makes all the sense in the world, right? Beliefs on things like abortion, the makeup of the family, capital punishment, the right to bear arms, all of these things, there is actually spiritual or religious components to some of those, which leads to them being such polarizing uh, belief systems. But religion is even bigger than politics. Um, here are just a few levels of religious polarization that you might recognize. So think about, you know, if you're a Christian, if you're a Protestant Christian, think about the numerous Protestant denominations there are, right? Each with a very unique version of the truth. Next, you have Protestants and Catholics. So both are considered Christian, but with very distinct differences. Uh, go a step higher than that, and you have Christianity and Judaism and Islam, right? All of these religious beliefs are based on the same God, but with very different belief structures uh, after that. Take another step up higher than that, and you have the the entirety of the world religions, right? So think about the unique differences between Christianity, Taoism, Buddhism, Greek mythology, and even some of the Polynesian religious beliefs. You know, when we were in Hawaii, we learned a little bit about those. Uh, I believe they kind of have their root in this thing called animism. So, you know, Polynesian islands like, like Hawaii and uh, New Zealand, uh, uh, Fiji, I can't even you know remember all of the ones that they talked about, but they all kind of came with this religious belief structure um, called animism. And then there's this obvious polarization that exists between those who believe in a God and those who don't, right? So with there being so many religious versions out there, so many different versions of religious thought, the potential to become short-sighted is definitely there. You know, if you grow up inside of one of these religious belief structures, um, you can subconsciously just have short-sightedness within you, right? Within us. It's how we view the world. It can become how we just assume everyone else should view the world. But that's where all of our problems begin. Number two, expand your vision and open your mind. So now that we know where short-sightedness potentially comes from and what it is, what do we do about it, right? Simply put, we want to move from short-sightedness to having foresight. And we talked a little bit about what that meant, right? To have foresight, looking into the future, being able to gain knowledge and survey the things around us in order to, um, to get rid of that short-sighted viewpoint. So let's look at three important steps in a, in a process of moving away from being short-sighted. Number one, look up. So the first thing that comes to mind for me, like when I think about somebody being short-sighted, I, I picture an ostrich, right, with its head stuck in a hole in the ground. Have you ever seen this? It's hilarious, right? Um, I'll put a picture in the show notes and I'll even uh, link to an article about it. But before we leave, you know, leave that imagery just hanging there, I should probably explain. So according to sciencefocus.com, ostriches do this because they bury their eggs in the sand, right? They don't, they can't fly. They don't build nests up in trees like other birds. So they dig holes in the sand and they bury their eggs in the hole. And in order to keep the eggs incubating correctly and keep them evenly heated, they have to stick their heads down in the hole and turn the eggs. But to me, this is a perfect image, right? For people who are short-sighted or when I become short-sighted. 
right? When we fall into that, it's as if we have our head stuck in a hole in the ground. And all we can see is the hole, right? It's dark in there. We don't see what's going on around us. All we can see is this dark hole that we're looking in. So the idea of looking up fits perfectly to me. We need to pull our heads out of the hole and we need to look up. Number two, after looking up, we need to look around, right? Foresight talks a lot about looking forward, looking into the future. But I want to suggest that looking around might be a better phrase for us to use. Not just looking into the future, but what about if we were to look around and get a full 360 degree view of what's going on in our lives? So to me, a 360 view includes past, present, and future, right? the past because it's our teacher, right? It should remind us areas in our life where we failed, areas where we were successful, and, you know, things to do and not to do. That's what the past should teach us. The present, because it's important to be aware of our surroundings, right? What's going on right here, right now in our world, in uh, in our in our community locally, in our region, in our country, in the world, and then future, obviously, right? Looking ahead at, at our preferred outcome, right? How do we want things to turn out in the future? And then develop a path in the right direction from there. So after we look up, after we look around, the last thing we do is to develop an open, active mind. An active, open mind. So simply put, this is learning to think critically. Right? Instead of getting hyper-focused on something that's right in front of us, as if our head was in a hole, right? being able to look around, listen, and learn from the things that we see, like we talked about, past, present, and future. So on, on this third one, right, developing an active, open mind, I use two words that are really important, active and open. Active because this doesn't come naturally, right? At times we literally have to check ourselves and force ourselves out of our comfort zone in order to see the world from somebody else's perspective. And then open, because once you have actively chosen to see the world from that perspective, it's a willingness to be open to new things, really two new things. The first is the possibility that you might be wrong. Now, this is the hardest part, right? Especially when our short-sightedness has dug its heels in, dug its feet in, and it's just something that we've believed for a really long time. I can't tell you how dangerous this is, though, right? To throw something out just because it's the way it, it isn't the way you've always done it or isn't the thing that you've always believed, right? I've fallen for this so many times looking back. But more recently, uh, possibly part of the maturation process, I don't know, but I've, I've been walking through the last few years having a more active and open mind, which has led to more and more changes, right? Some of those really dogmatic things that used to be a part of my belief structure have softened, and some of them have even completely changed, all because I was actively and open to the possibility that I, have, I may be short-sighted. Right? This may be something where I'm, I've got my head in a hole and I'm just choosing not to be open-minded. So that's the first one, the possibility that you might be wrong. The second is a willingness to lovingly agree to disagree. Yes, I said lovingly, really slowly, 
<laughs> we'll talk more about that in a second here. So of course, there's times when you're going to be right, right? There's times when you're going to be right and the other person may be sincerely wrong. But this is where there, you, you kind of come to a fork in the road, right? This is a really important decision you have to make. You have the choice to either transcend human or to polarize the situation even more. And my recommendation would be to choose to lovingly agree to disagree. Like we said, this is the route I would recommend in any situation, right? In a situation where you're right and they're wrong, or if it isn't a right and wrong thing, even if it's just you have a different opinion than another person, right? And there is no right or wrong. What would it look like if in either of those scenarios, we would lovingly agree to disagree with another person, right? Instead of blowing things up and making a mountain out of a molehill, what if we allowed our friendships to continue, our relationships to remain intact, regardless of whether we agree or disagree on the thing, right? What would the world look like if we tried that? Number three, getting started today. So we just fleshed out what it might look like to change the way we think and the way we behave when we find ourselves stuck in short-sightedness as a trap, right? But that's a long-term fix when you really think about it, right? You know, we can start working on it today, but it isn't like it's an easy button, right? We don't just slam that easy button and boom, immediately we have this life change, right? In my life, I can see short-sightedness traps on a weekly basis, sometimes a daily basis, right? So it isn't a quick fix. It takes methodical day-by-day decisions that over time make progress, help us progress away from our short-sightedness. But here's some good news, right? There are some things that we can do to jump start the process, right? To give it a kick in the pants, and help us move from zero to 60 in a much shorter period of time. So I'm gonna give you four, four ideas on how to do that in your life. Number one, get out of your comfort zone. So there's nothing that makes us more short-sighted than giving in to every little thing in order to be more comfortable, right? So how do you get out of that? Well, take that open mind and do something different. Meet new people. Not people like you, people who aren't like you. Eat in new restaurants, try new foods, watch a movie or TV show that you wouldn't typically watch. Try listening to a genre of music that is not currently in your playlist. Basically, see the world from a fresh perspective. Number two, really see the world. I'm talking both locally and globally, right? So see a new part of the world near you. Not just another clean suburb, right? Another strip mall, another uh, great little area near you, right? See parts of the city or the state that you live in where the real people live. And this goes the same for the world. Don't just fly to some tropical island and stay in a resort the entire time. Explore and see how people live in other countries. Seeing a third world country is one of the fastest ways to force your head out of that short-sighted hole in the ground. Um, I know that for me, I have not had as many experiences like this as I really should have. Um, I did not go on a lot of mission trips. I did mission trips internally, like within our country, going to some pretty difficult neighborhoods 
you know, in, in Indiana, in Chicago land area. Um, but my wife and, and son, um, a few years ago got to go to Uganda and, uh, my oldest daughter went to Haiti. Um, and so those are really, those are really the trips that I'm talking about, right? Where you, you get to experience uh, a third world country and, and see the devastating poverty that exists in the world. And, and it pulls you out of your comfort zone and it forces you to realize that we can be very short-sighted when we just think that the world looks like us and thinks like us and, and has the opportunities that we have. So that's what really seeing the world means. Number three, watch a documentary. And I don't mean just a documentary. I mean a book, a movie, a TV show, right? Watch something that helps to blow you out of your short-sightedness, right? And I just said documentary because there are some really good, honest documentaries um, that can completely change your mind about something that you were short-sighted about, right? And I don't mean a documentary where the producer or the director is just trying to push some crazy agenda. I mean an honest investigative documentary uh, where tons of research has been done and they're trying to help explain a situation or a, a part of the world or an issue with our government, whatever it is, right? Because being short-sighted is often a byproduct of a lack of knowledge, right? It's usually very opinionated. Short-sighted people often base their short-sightedness on opinions. And, and they have a difficult time when somebody with a lot of knowledge comes and explains the situation to them, they find themselves in this quandary, right? It's like, no, 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 but I believe, but I believe, but I believe. But yet there's this person who has all this, all this knowledge and they sound really, you know, intelligent. And, and it's just a, it really messes with people's minds. Like I said, nothing pushes back at your short-sightedness like a fully researched factual explanation of the thing that you are short-sighted about. So, and, you know, for people who can close their mind to that, that's pretty bad, right? You have to be a pretty close-minded person to be presented with all sorts of information and data about something and still say, you know what? I'm not going to believe it just because I choose not to. That's obviously, you know, a, a whole different ball of wax right there. Number four, serve others. So if we can get out of our comfort zone, right, and if we can really see the world around us, what would it look like for us to start serving the people that we find in those places, right? And by serving, I mean the following things, right? Treating everyone as an equal, being tolerant of other people, lovingly agreeing to disagree, meeting the needs of the people that God puts in our paths, right? Putting others' needs before ours. Again, this is not easy, right? Especially in the country that we live in, right? We're basically brainwashed to believe that everything that goes on is about us. It's all about our happiness, our comfort. It's about us living the good life. So when you really make that switch in your mind to serve other people and put other people's needs before yours, you're doing something that's incredibly countercultural. So let's land the plane. First of all, thank you so much for joining again this morning. It was so much fun walking through these with you. 
and I can't wait to um, the upcoming weeks. Uh, this week, just ask yourself the following questions about short-sightedness, right? So question number one, what are some areas that you might be getting stuck in right now? Where Areas where you're stuck in the here and now, focused on something, um, basically having your head stuck in a hole in the sand, right? Think, think really hard about that. Then number two, what would it look like to look up, look around, and become a little open-minded, a little more actively open-minded in that area? And finally, are there some tangible things you could do this week to step out of your comfort zone, to see the real world, to learn a bit more about a subject you don't understand, and to serve someone without thinking about your needs first? Give it a try. All right. Well, that does it for this week's episode. Uh, Again, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week. Look up, look around, and keep an open mind. (laughs) And as always, keep transcending human. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find additional content as well as ways to contact us and links to our social media channels. Thanks again for subscribing to the show, and we'll see you again real soon.